Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Plowing the Soul, 10 Foreign Films from 2014. It's for Sunday, December 28, 2014. At our church retreat this past October, Jane Shaw, newly appointed Dean for Religious Life at Stanford University, spoke about the role of art in our churches. In her four years as Dean of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, Shaw pioneered innovative uses of art in the church, including, for example, a residential artist program. Many people who would never come to church came for the art. Art, says Jane Shaw, creates an opportunity for empathy with our neighbor. In his book from 1986, Sculpting in Time, the Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky says that, quote, the function of art is not, as is often assumed, to put across ideas, to propagate thoughts, to serve as an example. Rather, the aim of art is to prepare a person for death, to plow and harrow his soul, rendering it capable of turning to good. Every year, there are roughly 700 films released that generate about $10 billion of revenue. As I've done in the last several years, here are 10 foreign films from our 2014 reviews that, in Tarkovsky's words, plowed my soul, and, I pray, rendered it capable of turning to good. Number one, Five Broken Cameras from Palestine. Imad Burnot is a Palestinian peasant in the village of Bilin in the West Bank. He's married, has four young boys, and lives off the land by picking olives. He's also a very brave videographer. When the Israeli bulldozers moved into their Palestinian lands to build settlements and a separation wall, Burnot filmed the organized protests of the villagers. This is as close as you ever want to get to the violence of a state brought to bear on popular resistance. Tear gas, riot gear, undercover agents, helicopters, night raids, snipers, the arrest of children, and martyrs. The movie's title comes from the five cameras that Burnot used all of which were smashed as he filmed the uprisings from 2000 to 2006. The film is in Arabic with English subtitles. I watched it on Netflix streaming. Number two, from Ireland, the movie Calvary. Father James is a wise and wizened priest in a small village on the Irish coast. The rugged terrain befits his authentic faith that does not shrink from hard questions, compassion, and candor. In the first minutes of this film, Father James receives a death threat. 
The rest of the film is filled with cameo characters who test his faith and theirs in various ways. Despair, wealth, adultery, cynicism, suffering, the death of innocence, aging, and, like a recurring baseline, priestly pedophilia. One reviewer called this movie, quote, the plight of a lonely believer in a world beyond belief. Number three, The Act of Killing, from Indonesia. In 1965, a military coup overthrew the Indonesian government, after which killing squads slaughtered as many as 2.5 million suspected communists in less than a year. Union members, landless farmers, intellectuals, in all ethnic Chinese. This mass murder was carried out with the direct aid of Western governments. The perpetrators are still in power today. In this surreal film, which was nominated for Best Documentary for the 2014 Oscars, two members of the death squads proudly explain what they did and how they did it by reenacting the mass murders. We have too much democracy, says one of the murderers. It's chaos. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. Number four, Inside the Islamic State from Syria. I watched this 42-minute YouTube after seeing it in an article in the Huffington Post. The journalist Medjan Diary of Vice News gained unprecedented access to the Sunni militant group ISIS, the result of which is this documentary. He spent three weeks with an ISIS press officer who took him to recruitment centers, rallies, a prison, and rides with the Vice Squad. The film explains how in March 2013, ISIS took control of Raqqa, Syria, and made it its de facto capital, and declared Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi its caliph. ISIS now controls large swaths of both Iraq and Syria. I say to America, brags the press officer, that the Islamic Caliphate has already been established, and we will not stop. For watching this video, you can go to our website and click on the appropriate link. But a warning, parts of this video contain graphic violence. Number five, Last Days in Vietnam. In the Paris Peace Accords that ended the Vietnam War in 1973, the United States promised to protect South Vietnam from any aggression by the Communist North. In fact, the United States broke that promise. After Nixon resigned from office after Watergate, North Vietnam began its assault on the South and by 1975, they were all the way to Saigon. Chaos enveloped the city, 
Citizens and soldiers sought to escape by any means. This documentary gives an hour-by-hour account of how American personnel defied orders to evacuate only Americans in order to evacuate 77,000 Vietnamese from the American embassy in Saigon in the weeks before it fell to the north. This isn't a political film. It's a story of the moral courage of some Americans who did their best to do what was right in a horrible situation. The movie is directed by Rory Kennedy, the daughter of Robert Kennedy and niece of John F. Kennedy. Number six, the law in these parts from Israel. David Shulman, an activist in the Arab-Jewish partnership called Ta Ayush, called this movie the finest Israeli documentary ever made about the Israeli occupation. The film explores the systemic judicial injustices inflicted on hundreds of thousands of civilian Palestinians. The movie also touches on the legality of torture, mass arrests, prolonged administrative detention without trial, the violent suppression of civilian demonstrations, punitive home demolitions, severe restrictions on freedom of movement, and other practices that have become commonplace under Israeli rule. Israeli judges admit that state security and control come before human rights and justice. Such, says Shulman, is the appalling record of the Israeli judicial system. Number seven, The Man Who Stopped the Desert, from Burkina Faso. Yakuba Sabadogo is an illiterate farmer in the West African country of Burkina Faso who's done more to reverse the ravages of drought and desertification than all the money and expertise of Western aid and agencies. So says the Dutch scientist Chris Reij, who helps to narrate this documentary film about Sawadogo. His simple methods have turned 50 acres of harsh desert into lush forests. Sawadogo has faced opposition from the so-called land chiefs, because he's going against traditional practices and from the government's plan for urban expansion. Still, his techniques have impacted the social, cultural, economic, and environmental aspects of his community. They now enjoy food sovereignty even in years of little rain. Number eight, the past from Iran. The writer-director Ashgar Farhadi's previous film, A Separation, won an Oscar in 2012 for Best Foreign Film. Like that film, The Past takes a long look at what seems like a simple domestic story. After four years back in Tehran, Ahmad returns to Paris to finalize his divorce with his French ex-wife, Marie played by Bernice Beho, who won Best Actress at Cannes for her performance. 
But like the layers of an onion, the more the story progresses, more and more layers of complexity are revealed. This film earned a whopping 96% approval rating on the tomato meter. It's in French with some Farsi. Next, People of a Feather. The people in this film are the Inuit of the Belcher Islands in the Hudson Bay of the Canadian Arctic. The feather in question is that of the eider duck, which is central to their way of life. This 90-minute documentary is partly a study of how traditional life has changed for these Inuit. They hunt by harpoons and rock slings, but also by shotguns. They travel by snowmobiles and motorboats, as well as by kayaks and sled dogs. Their small homes, when they're not in igloos, include flat-screen TVs. Radios feature American rock music, to which the teenagers rap and breakdance. In another, separate narrative, they explore the dramatic changes in the sea ice ecosystems and ocean currents due to climate change and hydroelectric dams. These have been, there have been major die-offs of the eiders due to the changes. The movie features footage from seven Arctic winters. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. And finally, my tenth film, and what might be my favorite film of the last 12 months, Wajda, from Saudi Arabia. Wajda is a spunky 10-year-old girl in Riyadh who's living on the adolescent borderline between innocence and knowledge. She also has a mind of her own. Whereas her classmates wear dull black shoes, she wears canvas high tops with stars and purple shoelaces. She paints her toenails, listens to rock music at home, and saves up to buy a bike so that she can race her neighborhood buddy, Abdullah. She also knows that the principal of her school has a lover, that her own father might take a second wife because her mother hasn't given him a boy and that she always has to veil herself and to make herself invisible to men. The film, written and directed by Haifa al-Mansur, is the first feature-length film by a Saudi woman, and it tackles gender roles head-on. Riding a bike in a country where it's illegal for women to drive is a wonderful symbol of the freedom to roam. In Arabic, with English subtitles. Ten foreign films from the past year. For books this week, I review a title called Francis of Rome and Francis of Assisi, A New Springtime for the Church. The author is Leonardo Boff. Mary Knoll, Orbis Books, 2014, 160 pages. Let us pray that the Brazilian liberation theologian Leonardo Boff is right. When Jorge Mario Bergoglio 
was elected Pope on March 13, 2013, he became the first Jesuit Pope, the first Pope from the Americas, the first Pope from the Southern Hemisphere, and the first non-European Pope in almost 1,300 years. He was also the first Pope to take the name Francis. And by taking the name of the Saint of Assisi, says Boff, the Pope wants to send a message to the world. That papal message is one of radical reform. Today, only 24% of Catholics live in Europe, and even that small remnant is in its twilight years, its death throes. Once it was a spring of living water. Today, it's a pond of lifeless, stagnant water, says Boff. It's a decadent and dying church of disgrace that's beset by financial and sexual scandals. It's morally bankrupt and has lost all credibility. As an institution, it's a medieval monarchy, exclusionary, elitist, and hierarchical. In short, says Boff, the Western Catholic Church is what he calls in a state of ruin. And yet, in these dark days, writes Boff, quote, divine providence has sent us Pope Francis, end quote. No matter how egregious its faults and failures, the church institution keeps the sacred memory of Jesus and the grammar of the gospel. In his first interview, just three days after being elected pope, Francis said that he longs for a church that was poor and for the poor. And so the connection with his 13th century namesake, who famously heard the voice of God, Go and restore my house, because it is in ruins. During the reign of the most powerful pope in history, Innocent III, Francis of Assisi said that he wanted to be a novellus pazus, a new madman, living a crazy life of poverty, simplicity, and humility. Boff, the cheerleader, is enthusiastically optimistic about Pope Francis. He anticipates radical reform of the curia. Structures are important, but secondary, he says. What's important is a new spirit of unconditional love, unbounded compassion, shared restraint, voluntary simplicity. The church should be more like an open house and less like a closed fortress. Boff writes, The church's long winter is over. Spring is arriving, full of promise. If Leonardo Boff turns out to be correct about Pope Francis, this will be the most important of the 80 books he has written. Leonardo Boff, Francis of Rome and Francis of Assisi. For movies this week, the movie that we've posted just this week is Last Days in Vietnam from 2014, which in fact I just read a few minutes ago, so I won't repeat the review.
Last Days in Vietnam. And finally, for this Christmas week, we've posted a favorite poem <clears throat> by G.K. Chesterton. He lived from 1874 to 1936. The title of the poem, The House of Christmas. There fared a mother driven forth out of an inn to roam. In the place where she was homeless, all men are at home. The crazy stable close at hand, with shaking timber and shifting sand, grew a stronger thing to abide and stand than the square stones of Rome. For men are homesick in their homes, and strangers under the sun, and they lay on their heads in a foreign land whenever the day is done. Here we have battle and blazing eyes, and chance and honor and high surprise. But our homes are under miraculous skies, where the Yule tale was begun. A child in a foul stable, where the beasts feed and foam. Only where he was homeless are you and I at home. We have hands that fashion and heads that know, but our hearts we lost how long ago. In a place no chart nor ship can show, under the sky's dome. This world is wild as an old wives' tale, and strange the plain things are. The earth is enough, and the air is enough, for our wonder and our war. But our rest is as far as the fire drake swings, and our peace is put in impossible things, where clashed and thundered unthinkable things, round an incredible star. To an open house in the evening, home shall men come. To an older place than Eden, in a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of the wandering star. To the things that cannot be and that are. To the place where God was homeless, and all men are at home. Thank you for joining us at Journey with Jesus for Sunday, December 28, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.